Hey guys, welcome to The Messy Table, an ordinary space for us to pause and remember that God's actually at work in our mess. Well, I'm Jen Jewell, and I have the honor of hosting this faith-fueled conversation-style podcast, which unleashes a brand new episode every other Tuesday. And that's truly what this is, a conversation, a chance to hear how someone's navigated a messy part of their life while clinging to the faithfulness of God. And some of those messes are good, like starting a business or raising a carload of kids or taking the gospel to unreached people on the other side of the world. While other messes are hard, complex, even tragic. But this podcast exists because we're here for it, here to learn from those who've gone before us, here to listen to those with a different perspective than our own. And you know what? That's a worthy, beautiful thing. Well, if you don't already know, we are actually partnered with the women of my church, Life Church, where my husband happens to be on staff. And that doesn't mean we are limited to one specific church, but we are passionate about the Capital C Church. So no matter where you're coming from, no matter your own story, we pray that you'll get plugged in or stay connected to your local Bible teaching church. And we are also so glad you're here. Y'all, today's guest for episode 86 is one you won't forget. Avery Brooks is a wife, teacher, survivor, world traveler, avid adventurer, who's both sweet and spicy, embracing the paradox of the already, but not yet, persevering when you want to give up, and relentless joy in the depths of grief. Guys, I'm a little partial because she was actually my daughter's teacher, which is how we met several years ago. And let me just add a special shout out to all of the teachers out there who are still making magic in the midst of this pandemic. One of my favorite quotes from Corey Ten Boom says, I've experienced his presence in the deepest, darkest hell that man can create. I have tested the promises of the Bible, and believe me, you can count on them. Friends, I can't even tell you how grateful I am for Avery's willingness to share such a tender part of her story, and I think you will be too. So grab your coffee, pull up a chair, and join us at the messy table. Avery, welcome to The Messy Table. Yeah. I'm so glad. (laughs) I'm excited. Thank you for having me. So I am lucky to know you in real life, but not everyone does. And so give us a little scoop into who you are. Tell us a little bit about you. Okay. Well, my name is Avery Brooks. Jen's daughter knows me as Mrs. Brooks. That's right. Or Miss Schoenwald. I know, right? Um, I was Howie's teacher when she was in second grade yep. um, and third grade at Bixby. Yep. So Back to back. Yes. And um, now she's in sixth. And you were Miss Schoenwald. That's why you referenced that. Because Did I get married in between the second and third grade? Yes. Or was that after? Okay, yeah, I think so. it was the beginning of yeah, her October. third grade. So yes. I got a lot of Mrs. Schoenbrooks. <laughs> yes, you because they started off saying show them all, and then they switched to Brooks. So I had Hallie for my second grade, my very first year teaching at Bixby. And I wanted to move up to third grade, uh, but felt like I couldn't do it without my core kiddos that Ah. just brought me a lot of joy. So I don't know if you know how the process works of putting kids into classes, but we (laughs) separate all of, you know, whatever needs that our kids have. We separate them into groups, and we Mm -hmm. have like 10 different groups of third grade. And After everybody went home, I snuck back into the teacher's room that had all of the piles of kids. I made sure that Hallie was in my stack. No, you didn't. Was she already in your stack or did you have to move her? I had to do some manipulating. (laughs) 
That's amazing. <laughs> but I, had, I knew that I could move on with her grade if I had some of my, my little angels in my class. So I got her for two uh, years. So here's the cool thing. As parents, you know, you're praying for their teachers and you're like, okay, Lord, please let them have an amazing teacher or whatever. You were just such a <laughs> gift today. She just left the house right before we started recording. And she was like, I have to see her. I don't want to leave until I get to say hi to her. So anyway, but you were just so amazing and so fun and adventurous and bubbly and all the things. So I don't know any kids that will come back to the classroom the year after and help decorate. Uh, Do you remember that? You came after she'd already left my class. I know, but then you like took her and got ice cream and brought her home. So (laughs) super blessed to have you in her life for two years. So (laughs) thank you for your investment in her. So you're a teacher. Yes. Yep. So I've taught first, second, and then third. I taught third again, and then I thought I'd try the online teaching. So before online teaching was cool, <laughs> last year I started working at Epic. And um, this time last year I had nine kids, and right now I have 43. Wow. Um, and they're talking about pushing it even more. So I get to touch a lot more lives, but I'm also very busy, and it, it's a whole different ball game. It's a different hard it's a different hard teaching online, but I love it. I love getting to go to people's houses and I get to keep them all the time that they're through Epic. So mm-hmm. I get to have kiddos for up to 12 years if they start with me and, or I guess 13 if they start with yeah. me pre-K. So because really you have different grades. In life. Yeah. I have pre-K all the way up through 18 year olds. So Wow. You do have a job. Yeah. Well, you're kind of a mom too, because I have kids that, you know, are having babies of their own. And so you're teaching them life skills and helping them figure out how to get into college or figure out how to get their GED. And it's just, I, I love it. Every kid has different needs that I get to service. So mm-hmm. I love it. I do. I when you it. said you have kids having babies of their own, like they are literally having babies and they're still finishing their yeah. degree. Oh, is that's what you're saying. Yeah. Some high schoolers, that's the only way they can finish up school. Okay. So I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Avenue, definitely, that Epic sense. definitely hits the needs of a lot of kiddos that wouldn't make it in regular brick and mortar mm-hmm. school. So I like being that bridge to help the kids get somewhere where they didn't think they'd be able to go. Right. Yeah. Okay. So the school district that we're in, we did a little bit of in-person school and then we did like five days of virtual and then supposedly we're going back, which I'm yeah. super excited about. You guys you know, to do my job this week. Fingers <laughs> crossed. Yes. So I was going to say for all the parents out there who are having to be virtual tutors, mentors, <laughs> teachers this week, give us a tip. <laughs> Tell us your best. <laughs> um, frequent breaks. <laughs> That's my. Recess. I have a hammock right outside of my kitchen door, and I'll run out there and sit on the hammock and regain my patience and go back, back in and get it. <laughs> Except for last year, I went out there and sat on the hammock for just my five minute break, and I accidentally locked myself out. So I had to call all my parents that I was supposed to meet with. I'm like. I had to call him on my watch because my phone was inside and I had to call That's him and tell funny. him like, I know you're upstairs Skyping right now, but you're just staring but at my I'm wall because I'm, I'm outside. So that is so funny. Go. That's happened for yeah. <laughs> the first day we did virtual. My daughter was laughing because it was literally like she was screaming mom from downstairs and then Jack would scream mom from upstairs. And so I was up and down, up and down. Just, you know, I can't get to this link or whatever. I feel like it is getting a little bit better and easier as we go, but. It's the storm before everything calms down. So that's normal, though. I go through that with all my families. (laughs) Right. That's awesome. Yeah. So a little bit about me. I met my husband probably like five years ago. We got married three years ago in October. Uh, He is the best part of my life. He is awesome. I love him. I thought I would marry somebody shy and just a little bit less outgoing than me. (laughs) Uh, But I found somebody who's even 
even more outgoing. You took it up just crazy. Notch. Yeah. So we're a very dynamic couple. <laughs> you guys are Our kids are going to have really adorable. big smiles. <laughs> You're such a pretty couple. Well, I've never been told that until I married him. So... But I mean, together. I've never been told you're gonna have good kids. Like you're gonna have beautiful kids until oh, I married my husband. You are. He is a he is a beautiful color of chocolate brown. Mm. <laughs> so hopefully that will the milk chocolate, yes. caramel chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> so I absolutely love him. He's great. Um, he does project managing for a commercial company. It's new. He started that in uh, March. So I'm still figuring out what he does. Right. Because he's been a nurse for years. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So he's been a nurse. He worked with cancer patients for a long time. And then he did the trauma center, which was crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was gone three nights a week. And I didn't really like that. So, yep. He just finished his master's. So he's a really driven guy. He has a million things in the fire at all times. Call us up if you need any real estate. There you go. Any DJ. <laughs> if you need something stitched up. He's the Jack guy. Jack of all trades. He, he's the guy. So. I'm also an adrenaline junkie. That is something that is very much a part of my fiber of my being. That's right. I grew up that way, though. It was my parents. Before I could be adrenaline junkie myself, they would, Mm -hmm. like, enforce it on me. Yeah. Like, we would go dam jumping. And it was before I was big enough to jump out over the rocks. Right. So they would just put us in a life jacket, (laughs) and then they would just chuck us off the side. Like at a lake? Yeah. Yeah. Big, big like, what are those called? The, the big, big cliffs and boulders that you jump well, on? Well, where the water comes out, the big tubes, there's like two of them, turbines yeah. or something. Yeah. Cut all of this out, but all <laughs> of this water would come through and they would chuck us in. We'd disappear in the white water and then we'd pop back up and they would fish us out, put us back on shore and we'd clamper up the rocks and do it again. So uh, ever since I was a kid, I've always been an adrenaline junkie and it has come into my adult life. So I've gone... Bungee jumping, skydiving, I've climbed ice, I've rafted off of waterfalls. Wow. How did that yeah. feel? It, it was a 21-foot drop. Yeah, in yeah, uh, New Zealand. How did it feel? Like, it was terrifying. <laughs> you completely was submerged your under, in your mouth. Like, you, uh, you submerge under the water completely, and then you bob back up, and you look around, and you're, like, counting people in the boat, and we got we got everybody. It was crazy. It was awesome. So, yes, I'm definitely uh, an adrenaline junkie. I'm also a world traveler. I am always on a plane somewhere. I love it. Uh, we Always, <laughs> except maybe right now. Well, not this exact moment, <laughs> but have I already booked my next one? Absolutely, I have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I've been to probably 20 different countries. I want to go to all the continents except for I don't really want to go to Antarctica. So yeah. I still need to hit up Asia. But it's almost like yeah. you just need to touch it just to say yeah. like, been yeah. there. Yeah, that's all I want. Been to all of them. That's all I want. We'll just, so what has been your favorite place ever? New Zealand. Because it's just made for the adrenaline junkies. I mean, we went zorbing. They put you in like this ball and they roll you down the shire. And we went like zorbing. Zorbing. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, we went ice climbing and Uh, rafting. And it's just totally made for somebody like me. And then after you do all that in the evenings, you get to sit in the hot mud pools and just relax too. So it was just I need you to like plan a vacation for me. This sounds awesome. (laughs) That will be my second job in my life. You were giving me tips earlier, like Mediterranean (laughs) cruise. Oh, yeah. This sounds awesome. Actually, when I first met you, you had just spent like a summer in Africa. That's right. I taught overseas for two summers. One summer, I did my teaching internship, so I was still in college. It was my last semester of college. So I taught at a, a Christian international school in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. And then the next summer, I went back and I taught at a orphanage in uh, Arusha, Tanzania. And then I went to Ramagana, Rwanda, and taught at a local school there. So, so were you more in the city or more in the bush? 
for my international, the Christian school was definitely in the city, but then the Rwanda was more in the bush. We would hire whoever would take us out, <laughs> some bicycle who happened to be by, and they would take us out into the bush and we would meet with um, families and write up their stories and publicize that so people can financially support them. And it was a really rewarding, but I would never let my kids do it. So, but you <laughs> it was it. just kind of dangerous. <laughs> yeah. But that was before I settled down and got married and now I'm not quite as crazy, uh, <laughs> I <would> say. <laughs> Maybe that's not so, so fun. Cool, but So you lived there, you said two summers? Yes. Yeah. What's like your biggest takeaway or memory from those summers? I mean, it sounds like something that everybody would say, but you really realize to have a, a gratitude, an attitude of gratitude, mm-hmm. you know, because looking around everybody, I mean, there were some families that didn't have any income. They would grow fruit, you know, they trade it. And that was the only way that they would get anything, you know, just to go to school. They have to have certain like textbooks and certain uniforms and so some kids couldn't even go to school and I mean the poverty is really out there mm-hmm. so you come back and you really realize how much that you have yeah so no kidding yeah so when you were staying there though did you have like washers dryers or no they didn't even know what I a feel washer like you was. were more yeah I was gonna say I feel like you were more kind of in the bush yeah I mentioned something about a washer and they had no idea what I was talking about I'm like well in America we have these machines that and then you start getting embarrassed as you explain how ridiculous how it is. we are. I'm yeah. like, they, they dry our clothes and they're like, well, don't you have wind? Right. Well, yes, we do. We do have wind. It's, it's so when you wanted to wash your clothes, did you go down to like a river or uh, what did you do? No, we did have running water. It was just outside okay. in a bucket. Okay. <laughs> I did some shower in a bucket and <laughs> like there was, you had to make do with what you had. But yeah. Yeah. It was fun. Hey, I've basically done the shower in a bucket in like the mountains. You know, sometimes when you got a shower, you got a shower. There you go. It's fine. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, I know that you have been through a lot in your life. And so would you just peel back some layers and kind of tell us what you've gone through and give us some backstory? Yeah, I'll just start by telling you about my family. I grew up in such a loving home, mom and a dad, and there was four of us kids and we I loved hanging out. I have a twin sister, so we're super close. Um, We would vacation together all the time, just hop in the van and just drive all night all the way up the coast. And we've, I mean, I think I've been to every state, but maybe five and Mm -hmm. mostly through driving through them. Just Um, hopping in the van. Yeah, absolutely. We had so much fun. And my brother, who was younger than me. Um, had a big sweet tooth, loved sugar, just like me. I mean, there's no, I, I do too. But he would set up every Saturday like a garage sale of candy in his room. <laughs> and we would go shopping at his candy garage sale and anything to get more sweets in his body. He just, that was my little brother. Mm-hmm. Very, very smart. Like he loved spelling. Like he was like the national spelling bee champion yeah. in Wichita, Kansas. <laughs> and like he would try to memorize how to spell things so he'd like record himself spelling something so that he would memorize it and then on the bus home you would hear him spelling these huge words and I mean I got out of the spelling beyond the word wolf so none of that ever came to me Uh, but that's a little bit of my brother Uh, my twin how many years younger than you is he 
just one school year. Okay. So uh, he was born in June, so a little bit over a year. Uh, my poor mom, she had four under five years old at one okay, point. Okay, yeah. My mom Props is a super to your mama. <laughs> Uh, but my sister very much like me. We're both very outgoing. We're very uh, adventurous. We're very similar. Actually, me, my mom, and my sister are very similar. Mm. And then all the others are very similar. My mom, my dad, my brother, my sister. I always have to look really close in pictures to tell you apart. Yeah, yeah. We are but identical. But I usually do it. <laughs> I'm two minutes older, so you probably see a little bit more yeah, maturity seniority. in me. <laughs> but yeah, so my sister is very much like me. She lives in Wichita with her husband. They got married just six months after I did so and then my sister Jenna very crafty not crafty like isn't intrude but like crafts like mm-hmm. she likes crafts <laughs> very artsy oh yes. I should have said crafty uh crafty very, artsy I'm with you yeah very artsy she was a gymnast she competed in um nationals gymnastics up in Spokane Washington when she was a teenager so we were just a very athletic, very adventurous, very nuclear family. family. Oh, absolutely. Um, My dad was the Sunday school superintendent of our church. We were in there every time the doors were open. Mm -hmm. He was a structural engineer, so he had the engineering nerdy side, but also was just super uh, friendly. And I mean, Mm -hmm. he never met a stranger. Mm -hmm. So So I just can't leave my mom That's where you get it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my mom is the same way. She and I are very, we're very sassy, uh, a little bit of sweet, but mostly sassy, um, very adventurous. So I'm just like my mom. Mm-hmm. But uh, How we, did they meet? They met at college. My mom was a tennis player. My oh, dad okay. was a was a, a soccer player, and mm-hmm. they would walk up to the cafeteria together. Hey. So that's how, that's how they met. So both <laughs> college athletes. So it kind of, I mean, I was never a college athlete, but, you know, intramural champion. That's 2015. Right. Let me I mean, just drop that. Whatever. <laughs> Frisbee golf, whatever you need to do. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that was my family. We just really loved spending time together. Um, And like I said, we vacationed a lot growing up. We were in the church a lot. I found the Lord when I was... I mean, they've been talking about the Lord since I was wee little. But I think I was around five years old. Mm -hmm. I came home from church one day, and we were all sitting on my brother's bed, and my dad was reading us one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. Mm -hmm. I remember it so vivid that part so vividly, um, but I wasn't paying attention about what he was reading. But as soon as he closed the book and said it was time to to go to bed, I said that I wanted to accept the Lord in my heart. Wow. And so, yeah, he took me over to his room and prayed with me and— I went back to our shared room, and my sister was like, wait, that's not fair. So <laughs> she joined in there, too. So. Perfect. Yeah. So from five years old on, I had yeah. a really deep relationship with the Lord. Uh, you know, it became deeper as sure. I, you know, as I encountered more of life. And so it became something a lot more real to me when I was 15, and my family and I decided to go on a road trip. We were going to Colorado. Um, it was February 16th. 2008. And we were just going on a family vacation, just like we did all the time. And during that trip out to Colorado, um, my dad was driving and all of us were sleeping in the back. And as he came over one of the hills, there was a truck that was pulling a trailer whose lights weren't on, tail lights weren't on. And so when we went over the top of that mountain, we uh, we ran into the back of their trailer. So that sent us spinning across the intersection into oncoming traffic, and our van was hit by a semi. So I remember uh, waking up 
from consciousness and seeing out the side of the van where there used to be a door that got ripped off. And I remember looking out of the back of that van and just the the silence. And it was it was such a weighted silence. I remember my sister. I remember hearing her calling out the names of our family. And when she came to my name, I spoke up. I said, I'm here. I'm here, Alyssa. Everything's going to be okay. And I was definitely in and out of consciousness at that point. I had lost a lot of blood. Uh, but eventually some first responders, they found us. They'd seen the accident and they came to help. And they could only find five of us in the vehicle. And I remember telling them that there's six of us. There should be six. And so they looked around and they found that my mom had been uh, ejected from the vehicle. And they found her with tire marks just right by her um, that had missed my mom. So um, they called the ambulance and they sent some choppers. And they took us by helicopter to the hospital that was close by in Aurora. Mm-hmm. Um you don't remember seeing your family next to you? No, I don't. I was so in and out of consciousness. I have real memories of the feeling of the wet, mm. like the wet blood on my face, the night air hitting mm-hmm. that. And sometimes that does trigger me to go back to that moment, like when my hair's wet and when the mm-hmm. air is hitting it. Well, like um, you said, the weighted silence. Yes. Yeah. And the sound of traffic. There's just certain things that you you don't um, you don't realize will trigger it. But in any case, yes, yeah, so they took us by helicopter and pumped several units of blood uh, into me because I was losing blood so fast. And I remember, even though I was in and out of consciousness, I remember while they were wheeling me in from the helicopter into the operating room, I remember telling everybody that was around me, like, it's okay, we're Christians. It's okay. I know where we're going. And I just felt like I had to reassure everybody because I could just tell that they were just really worried. But after they wheeled me into the to the operating room, they had to patch up. I had a large cut on my hand. I remember looking down and seeing the the tendons of my hand. Oh, like it was oh. very deep. So they they stitched that up. Do you know what cut you or was it just glass or? I don't else? know. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have no idea. Uh, it could have been anything. Right. But they, they stitched up my hand. Um, they didn't repair my pelvis, but my pelvis had been crushed. Um, they waited a couple days to, maybe it was a day. I don't know. It was all blurred. Your but pelvis they, yeah. had been crushed? Yeah, my pelvis had been crushed. Um, it was broken in five places. My head had been degloved, and what that means is just like you're taking glove off of a hand. The skin of my head, the top of my head came off, Um, Mm -hmm. but the doctor said it was the worst case of degloving that they'd ever seen, that all the pieces were there. And so they were able to patch up my head. I have only a few bald spots, um, but they were able to... I've never noticed any. <laughs> well, thank you. I part it a little different now. <laughs> okay. But yeah, they had, to, they had to patch up my head. And I was losing blood so fast that they weren't sure if there was internal bleeding. Mm. So they rushed me into an emergency exploratory lap where they cut my stomach open to see if there was anything that had been... Uh, damaged and, and bleeding. But thank goodness there wasn't. So they patched me back up. But altogether, uh, over 100 staples and stitches. And Do you have a scar on your belly? Oh, yeah. I've, if you line them all up, it's from here to the, <laughs> to really? the other side of the door. Yeah. Back, I mean, not that I see your belly. No. But. <laughs> back, belly, front, head, hand. After they took me out of the OR, um, spending the first night in the hospital, I have to say, would be the most broken time of my life as they aren't allowed to tell you 
what's happened. And so I was in that hospital room completely on my own with nobody telling me what happened to my family, nobody there in the operating room with me. I remember the nurse that I had. She sat there and prayed with me all night. She might have been an angel. I don't know. Monica, I still remember her so vividly. But that was the— So you were coherent and you didn't know what happened to your family. Yeah, and and I kept asking, but they weren't able to tell me. Um, And turns out that there just was too much trauma, too many trauma patients to have in one hospital. So I was the only one in that hospital. Mm. Um, So I was completely alone in the hospital. And I I just remember how— broken and how alone I felt. And in retrospect, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 11 talks about how His grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And when I think about my life, that was the weakest point of my life. Uh, It says, therefore, I boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weakness and insults and hardship and persecution and difficulties for when I am weak, then I'm strong. And that verse is why I'm sharing this story, uh, because I'm sharing with you the messiest, the, Mm -hmm. the weakest point of my life and hopefully as I continue on with my story, you see that the power of Christ working in my life to come from this weakest part of my life to where I am right now. Mm-hmm. And it took the next day before they were able to transfer me over to the to another hospital um, where they wheeled in my mother who told me that my brother and my sister and my dad had been killed in that car accident and that it was just my mom and my sister and I. Um, so they were able to put us all into the same room. We were there for two weeks and then they flew us down to Wichita where I'm from. And we were in the rehab facility there for another two weeks, wheelchair for six months. And the emotional healing is still, is still happening, mm-hmm. you know, um, the worst nightmare made reality. Absolutely. And I can't say that I'm completely healed. There's sure. there's never a time until that's what, <laughs> until heaven. That's why we hope for heaven. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, that I am completely healed. But sharing my story brings redemption to the tragedy that I've gone through. If I can share the things that I've learned through this process with anybody else who is experiencing any amount of pain. It gives their life and their death value. Mm-hmm. And so that that is the reason why I share uh, my story is hopefully it can bring comfort to anybody else who's going through anything similar, or any amount of pain. Mm-hmm. Um, so after we got back to Wichita and several months went by, we were able to get out of the hospital. We had a funeral for them. And I told you a little bit about my sister, Jenna. Uh, I had, I've never told you their names, Jenna and Jace. I was about oh, to ask. Sorry. I was yeah. about to say, we need to hear their names. Yes. Jenna is my uh, older sister. She was 18. Uh, I was 15. And my little brother was 13. And in a Bible study that Jenna had been in right before she passed away, she mentioned that she wanted her funeral to just be a party and how we could make that reality. And when we were broken ourselves, we tried our best. And I remember being in the hospital room packing over 2,000 goodie bags of candy and tracks. And we had a funeral for my brother, my sister, my dad, and we had over 2,000 people there. 
that we handed goodie bags out to and got to share the hope that we have um, with, with all of those people. So like I said, the more people that hear my story Mm -hmm. and hear my testimony and turn to the Lord, Mm -hmm. it brings a purpose to the pain. So through the whole recovery process, every big question that people ask, I've asked myself Mm -hmm. uh, and I've asked God, um, I've asked, how can I hope in the midst of this tragedy? Yeah. Will I ever experience joy again? Right. And those are big questions that I wrestled with and that mm-hmm. I've learned a lot about. And um, my mom named me Avery Joy. Mm-hmm. So joy is my middle name. And it's been it's been the calling on my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to learn a lot about what that joy was. And I learned that joy is not dependent on what happens to us, mm-hmm. and that you can have joy that transcends your circumstances. Um, but it all comes down to what joy is, you know, and joy isn't an emotion. Um, and especially in the midst of this tragedy, there isn't a lot of right. happiness. Mm-mm. But the joy, the joy is there because the joy is not linked to what happens. And um, Rick Warren has a really good definition of what joy is, and it's the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life, Mm. the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right, and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. And that's what joy is. That's a good quote. (laughs) How you feel. Yeah. It's being assured of God's sovereignty and the confidence that He knows what He's doing and that things are going to work out in the end. And then the choice to praise God. And that's exactly what it is. It's a choice. Mm -hmm. And when you choose joy, he eventually does reward you with that peace and Mm -hmm. that hope. So unpack that for us a little bit in the reality of you're in a hospital room with your mom and your sister, knowing that your sister and your brother and dad were no longer on this earth. Yeah. Man, I I can just imagine that that's the worst feeling that one could have. I mean, yeah, your house can burn down and and things can go wrong. But whenever you lose the people that you love that are closest to you, like there's not much worse than that. Yeah. So at your worst, how did that joy manifest or did it seem like it disappeared for a while or what did that look like? Do you remember? You know, during that time, I wasn't saying all of this wise things that I've, you know, that oh, I've researched sure. back then. Totally. And, and it's been a work in progress and the Lord's been teaching me a lot. Um, and there was definitely days where I was angry and there was days where I questioned God and there's days where I was frustrated for sure, hundred percent. But going back to what joy is, what did I have assurance that God was in control? Mm-hmm. I did. And was I confident in his power? Absolutely, I was. Did I understand it? No. Mm-hmm. Um, but I chose to praise God in the midst of that. And I knew, I mean, I told the people wheeling me in from the helicopter, I know where they are. I know, I know what will happen to us. Mm-hmm. And if that's not hope, I don't know what is. Right. You know, in, in the middle of something so tragic to know exactly mm-hmm. what brings peace and and knowing where all of us would end up had something happened right and it's going to happen to all of us eventually yeah absolutely and i had to not wait for the feeling Mm. of joy before i praised god before you chose it yeah yeah absolutely you can't wait to feel joy before you praise god for his love you 
I, I don't know where this quote came from. I tried to look it up so I didn't plagiarize, but um, it says somewhere um, that if you give me praise, regardless of your feelings, that I'll give you joy regardless of your circumstances. Oh, yeah. You know? And so, especially in those first few months and, and that recovering process, I couldn't just wait till everything was okay again to praise God. I had to start from the hospital bed to claim the promises of God, know that they're true, and praise Him for those things before I feel them. And I feel like our world is so focused on feelings. You yeah. know, if you don't, if I feel like breaking my diet and eating that ice cream, I will. Mm -hmm. I, if I feel like buying that car and I haven't saved the money for it, I'm mm -hmm. going to do it. If I feel like you know, not being faithful to my spouse and I want to marry somebody else, then society says, follow your feelings, follow your heart, Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and that's all great. But sometimes you have to make the choice before your feelings come, you know, yeah. the, the, the choice to, I'm not going to buy that because I don't have the money for it. And I'm not going to eat that because I told myself I'm not, I'm, I'm going to stay faithful to my spouse because I made a commitment. And mm -hmm. and sometimes logic or sometimes trust needs to come before feeling like you want to do something. It's a spiritual discipline. Mm -hmm. And our society as a whole doesn't like those words and don't want to have this discipline. Mm -hmm. um, but in the midst of this tragedy and any tragedy that somebody goes through, it's a waste to wait for feelings to come. Right. You've got to claim those promises as true from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. um, and Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. So first off, you've got to have the Holy Spirit. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, it's Otherwise, full Zaren. just don't listen to anything I say, because, <laughs> because that's what you've got to have first. It's not so, going to work on our own. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so accepting Christ will give you the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's in me. And it says that the Holy Spirit's giving me hope. And that hope comes from God, who also says that He'll fill you with joy and peace mm -hmm. as you trust in Him. So all of those things are so tied together. Yeah. You it's know, not self-manufactured. Yeah, absolutely. It's not. And I've talked about not needing feelings first before declaring God's goodness. And I almost picture it like whenever I'm like running outside and it's hot and I want to quit, I have to keep telling myself, you're going to make it. You're going to do it. Even if I don't feel it, like you're going to make it. You're Follow gonna... through. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so as Christians, we need to declare the promises of God before we actually feel them hmm. because— Because sometimes we don't. Yeah. Sometimes I wake up and I don't feel it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And the promises of God that, you know, God says, I'm going to be a father to the fatherless. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't feel that right off the bat. I it says God is working all things together for those who love Him. I didn't feel that, but I know it's true. And I trust God's Word as true. And so I spoke those promises over my life. It, it says that after you have suffered a little, He will restore, support, and strengthen you. And He will place you on a firm foundation. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel secure or strengthened or anything right off. But speaking those promises will bring about the fruition of those, you mm -hmm. know. Um, the Lord Himself goes before you, and He will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Mm -hmm. Those are promises that you claim as true. Mm -hmm. um, and one of my favorite quotes is that you are the most dangerous to Satan when you praise God, regardless of your circumstances. Yeah. And how powerful is Dang. that to think that we can be dangerous to Satan? You know, mm -hmm. when you think of Satan, it's, you know, it's a scary, powerful entity. Yeah. And, and to know that we as little humans can be dangerous 
to something so big and scary mm-hmm. is super empowering. It is. One verse that we kind of cling to here is Revelation 12, 11. It talks about that our enemy is defeated by the blood of the lamb, which is Jesus, of course, and by the word of our testimonies, which it's like, seriously? So you speaking right now about your sweet family, speaking about these hardships that you've endured and speaking about the hope that was still there, like that is powerful. I mean, sometimes it's hard to believe that that's true because like you said, we don't always feel it, but it, but it is. And so, you know, thank you for sharing this stuff today because I know it's got to be hard. Yeah. Well, we're all dangerous to Satan when we uh, proclaim those promises in the middle of our tragedies. So mm-hmm. we're a real force. So someone right now who just lost a dad, a sister, a brother, a spouse, a child, what would you say to them? I mean, I would just say to cling on to those promises. We can trust him and he is sovereign. And I know that because I can see his faithfulness through my life, you know, Mm -hmm. from where I was as a 15-year-old to where I am now. Um, is incredible to see that redemption in our story. You know, Mm -hmm. my mom has since been remarried to Mm -hmm. an amazing, amazing man. Mm -hmm. And both Alyssa and I have found a spouse who loves the Lord. And I've seen so much growth and restoration in, in my life. And I've been where you are, you know. I have been in a position where I just lost somebody. Um, and so if you are in that spot, look forward to the time when things will be made whole. And right now things aren't made whole. You know, we're right. still waiting for that. But there is healing and it takes time. But be faithful and proclaim those promises as true. And you'll come out of that other side more wise mm-hmm. and hopefully more joyful mm-hmm. from where you are to where, you know, to where you will be. So That's good. Sounds like sometimes you even surprise yourself or God surprises you inside of you. Like, wow, look at the restoration that really has happened. And I know, like you said, it's not over yet. It's not heaven yet. We still live in a broken world right now. And I'm sure there are still hardships and triggers that come up and you miss them like crazy. Like, of course you do. Yeah. Yeah. And the big question that you wrestle with is, you know, why would God let something like this happen? Or why is there suffering in the world? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, and those questions I wrestled with and I cried about and I argued with God about. And, you know, there's lots of reasons why there's suffering. I, I like to think that the Lord took Jace, Jen, and Dad home because He wanted them home mm-hmm. with Him. Or they were already ready to be united with the Father and I just have a little bit more work to do. <laughs> and, you know, like, it, it brings a little comfort. But honestly, just this world is broken and we are just ready for the Savior to renew and, mm-hmm. and make the new heaven. And Romans 8, 17 through 19 says, Since we are all His children, we are also His heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are His heirs of God's glory. And if we are to share in His glory, we must also share in His suffering. Mm-hmm. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that He will reveal to us later. Mm-hmm. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who His children really are. So that's what we're living in a world that is waiting. Mm-hmm. You know, and this brokenness that sin Mm -hmm. has brought into this world just shows that we are just waiting. We're waiting for our Savior, Mm -hmm. you know, to come back. 
I also would say that I went through this suffering or there's suffering in the world just because in our suffering, we see God's power. Mm-hmm. Um, we are broken clay. What yeah. is it? We're clay jars. <laughs> That's and right. His glory is poured into us. Yeah. And, and so this broken, messy life that we live shows God's power when at the end of this, uh, we can say that we've learned things and mm-hmm. that we've loved better or have more joy. And, you know, that power inside our little broken bodies mm-hmm. um, brings more glory to the Lord. Yeah. And that verse that says that we, uh, it's nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. Right. I see it as a scale and <laughs> all of the pain and suffering that each one of us have gone through is on one side of the scale. And then whatever glory is revealed to us mm-hmm. is going to far outweigh I'm, it's going to have to be pretty dang good, right? you know, to weigh out all the suffering that I've gone through in my life. I'm just eagerly waiting to yeah. see what that is because exactly. he promises it. We know that it's more than we can ask, think, or imagine, but I can't wait till the day when he reveals that, just how they are going to get to see how their story was played out even through you. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty cool. And the very last reason why I feel like he's allowed this suffering to happen in my life is just the increased dependency on him. Mm. You know, people hear my story and they say, wow, you're so strong. You, I can't believe you did that. I would never, you know, and I'm like, I can never imagine. Yeah. And, and I say like, I leaned in closer to God at that time because I had to. I was completely alone, mm-hmm. completely broken. I didn't know if I had family. I didn't know if I had my health. Mm-hmm. And so the Lord was the only thing that I knew I had. Mm -hmm. And so from that moment on, my dependency on the Lord increased exponentially. Yeah. Uh, As I learned how to walk again, as I learned how to trust again, and I learned how to to grieve in a healthy way and move on, like those were steps that I took with my Savior. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it wasn't any huge, you know, strength of my part. It It was my willingness to admit that I didn't have any strength Mm -hmm. and leaning into the Lord who I knew was the one who was strong. I've heard the term convergence, which is talked about where God's sovereignty and man's free will intersect. And I love that Mm -hmm. because that's just a really complicated thing to try to figure out in our heads. But you said something about like it was all that you could do, all that you had to do. But there are definitely people that when they go through a hard time in their life, they either choose to lean on God or to push him away and to run. And there's a lot of people that run. And so one thing that's cool is I think it's such fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life that immediately that's what you went to was Mm -hmm. leaning on him because I know you feel like, well, that's all I could do, Mm -hmm. but some people don't make that choice. Yeah. Well, they did it the harder way (laughs) because I can't imagine relying on my own strength to come back from something like this. Right. Did it make it hard for you to trust in the future? Like with Silas, did it make you feel like I don't want to love because I could lose him? Well, absolutely. I don't have any words of wisdom (laughs) about it. I mean, it's just, it is harder. And I'm sure when I have kids, it's going to be hard letting them go out into the world, knowing that if the Lord wants them home, um, mm-hmm. then he He will allow that. But I just have to proclaim those promises and that he loves me and that he's working all things out to my good. And right. as hard as it is to trust other people, it's so much easier to trust my health into his hands and, and my safety. But right. like my love ones is a lot harder but proclaiming the promises of the Lord's sovereignty over them. Yeah. 
helps you loosen the grasp right. because you know you don't have any right. you know, power in the clenched fist of yeah. holding on to our, well, it's our just loved a ones. Facade. Yeah. Like anytime that we think that we have control, I mean, yeah. really, it's kind of a gift that you have, you know, this yeah. perspective, this eternal perspective. Yeah. So it's beautiful. Yeah. So clearly you have lived through the most horrific circumstances that anyone can imagine. But like your middle name, you still have such joy. Like when I think of you, I think you are just such a joyful, lovely, sunshiny person. You just are. That's you. That's your personality. And obviously you're passionate about this. So you have had to live out some of these things that you've talked about as far as getting ahead of your feelings and proclaiming Mm -hmm. some of these things. Is this something that you're still doing today? Absolutely. And it doesn't just have to do with the feeling of, you know, God's love during tragedy, but it can be COVID. It can be anything. Yeah. Like in this time of turmoil with COVID, you tell yourself the Lord is a God of peace. Mm. You know, if you struggle with, with some self-hatred, God loves me. He knit me together in my mother's womb. Any time of your life when there, the enemy is whispering into your ear lies that are easy for you to believe because yeah. the enemy knows what you're susceptible to. You combat that with the promises of God. Yeah. And bigger. that applies in any circumstance mm-hmm. um, where you feel like slipping into a pattern or a rut or a, a lie that you easily think to speak that truth before mm-hmm. even you may feel it, to claim that as true. Mm-hmm. Because God rewards those who claim His promises And He rewards them with what they're asking. I mean, Mm -hmm. the Lord says, if you ask for peace, He'll give it to you. If Mm -hmm. you ask for, you know, for joy, He gives it to you. And so just ask. And when you don't feel that and you ask for it, He rewards you with that. Mm -hmm. And you're talking about who God already is. So really, you're just reminding yourself of who He is. Like, He is faithful. He is sovereign. He is loving. Even when there's political division and racial tensions and crazy COVID and we're all virtual schooling our kids and running up and down the stairs and it's crazy. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And the huge tragedies in our lives. Any small to big, Mm -hmm. He cares. And you can proclaim truth over any of those little to big problems. That's good. And he's faithful. That's really good. Do you like have a certain statement or paper or anything that you read to remind yourself? Or is it more just things that are in your head that you just kind of go over and over again? I just chant myself like, I can be powerful against (laughs) Satan. It's just very empowering to be like, you know, I can be dangerous. I'm dangerous today, Mm -hmm. you know, and that power is given to anybody. Mm-hmm. Anybody who doesn't let circumstances determine their price, mm-hmm. you get to do that too. Mm. Okay. Do you have any other resources that you just love? They've meant a lot to you and you want to recommend to Absolutely. Others? I read this book and I want to say it was either the first year or the second year after that car accident. And it's by Wayne Jacobson called He Loves Me. And this is from the back of the book, so I stole it off of it. But this is what it says. It says, do you find yourself picking through circumstances like a child picking daisy petals, attempting to figure out whether or not God loves you? If you find yourself less certain of his love in those critical moments, then you most need to trust him and there's hope for you. Mm. And the premise of this book, the first chapter is about this girl who picks a flower and she's thinking about the secret admirer and she picks off the petals and she says, he loves me. Oh, he loves me not. He Mm. loves me. And she hopes that that last petal is he loves me. 
And Wayne Jacobson paints this picture of that's how sometimes we treat our own lives is the flower of our life. And when good things happen, that's when we pluck off a petal that says, oh, God loves me. Uh, We got a new job. Oh, God loves me. COVID happened. God hates me. Mm -hmm. You know, Uh, I had a daughter or a granddaughter or whatever. He loves me. Oh, my husband's sick. He doesn't love me. And we pick through our circumstances and hope that the last petal we pick is that he loves me. And these circumstances aren't tied to his love. Mm. Every petal, whether good or bad, is he loves me. You know, if somebody's sick. He loves me. He's drawing me closer to him. He's helping me become more dependent on him. Mm. You know, something good happens. Well, he's giving us perfect gifts. That's what the Bible says is he's the God who gives perfect gifts to his children. So every petal that we pick, whether it's a growing opportunity or it's a celebration, he's still showing his love to us. And so that book is an awesome reminder of how we should treat the flower of mm. life and all of the circumstances that we have. That's really good because I do think there's so much truth in that. Well, if we're experiencing a blessing, then, oh, I'm doing good, which of course there's no striving tied to our salvation or his love for us, but something goes bad and it's like, man, I must be really screwing up or he's mad at me or, or whatever. So yeah, I love it. You have been amazing. And thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for sharing about your mom and your dad and your siblings and Mm -hmm. just that their lives mattered and they still matter. And Mm -hmm. the great thing is, is that not only is Christ living through you, but their legacy is living on in you too. So as we wrap up, would you just give us one final word of advice or encouragement, just something that you want everyone to know? Absolutely. There's this song that I heard right after the accident that has really spoke to my heart, um, and it's by Babby Mason. And she says, All things work for our good, though sometimes we don't see how they could. Struggles that break our heart in two sometimes blinds us to the truth. Our Father knows what's best for us, and His ways are not our own. So when your pathway grows dim and you just don't see Him, remember that you're never alone. God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand and you don't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. Mm. That's good. Isn't that a good song? It is. That's like, it's so powerful. I mean, I'd prefer you to sing it as well, but <laughs> since you won't. You can like play it from, <laughs> from her over me. It, we actually have it on our wall back at home, like trust his heart. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes that's all you got. Well, of course, we don't know exactly what mess you are facing at this exact moment. Maybe your anxiety is at an all-time high and you need to ask for help. Maybe your marriage looks good on the outside, but inside you are not okay. Maybe you love your kids like crazy, but this rogue season of madness has left you continuously frustrated or numb or desperate for rest. Maybe you've found yourself in financial trouble or you too know that deep ache of losing someone you love. Like Avery talked about, I pray that we'll seek Him and praise Him even before those happy feelings come, even before we're ready, that we'll trust that He is close. Well, as always, all of the links and resources mentioned can be found in the conversation notes. You can also subscribe for free wherever you like to stream. And we would love for you to connect with us on Instagram at The Messy Table Podcast. And hey, as you head back into your week and into your world, remember, yes, life is messy but God is at work in your mess.